I think if you were to talk to somebody, just a random person on the street about, you know, what's their understanding of project management, I think lots of people, their starting point would be that they think of it as quite a process-driven kind of sector. And the reality is that, yes, there are processes in there, but what stands the best projects out from other projects Um, the ones that really succeed, it wasn't the processes that made that happen, it was the people. Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'll be joined by Adam Bodison, CEO of APM, the Association for Project Management, which is the chartered body for the project profession. Adam describes how reflecting on APM's purpose has led them to redefine and expand their playing field. He talks about how they've changed the way they use their five-year strategic plan, and he shares why he thinks project management skills might be the future of leadership. Adam, welcome to the Purposeful Strategist. Thanks for joining us. You are the Chief Executive at APM, the Association for Project Management. I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about the organization and about how you see your role there. Sure. No, thank you for inviting me today. So Association for Project Management is the only chartered body for the project profession. At its heart, we are an educational charity. We've got more than 36,000 members, over 500 corporate partners. And in terms of my role, I started as Chief Executive Officer back in September 2021. And prior to that, I was Chief Executive of a different professional membership body. And that was also an educational charity, hence the from one to the other. We're going to spend a bit of time talking about purpose and strategy, but before we get into that, I just wonder, how do you define organizational purpose and how is it either the same or different from mission, vision, all those sorts of things? I suppose when I think about organizational purpose, for me, it comes back to that fundamental question of why. So I think of purpose as why we do what we do, almost the, the kind of aspirational reason for an organization to exist. So if I try and put that in practical terms, it would be almost like a guiding principle for making key strategic decisions. So in every organization I've ever been in, there will be times when we have to make hard decisions about whether it be investment or how to spend limited resources. Uh, and You can't do everything. So you have to say yes to some things and no to others. And actually going back to that, almost that kind of core purpose to say, well, actually, why are we here? That can be really helpful as that kind of guiding principle at that moment to make the right decision. You can also think of it, I suppose, as a kind of fundamental call to action, and not just for the people in the organisation, but I think it applies also to the wider group of stakeholders, because we will want them to be engaging with us in a way that fulfills our core purpose for being. So it's a call to action and a guiding principle for those who lead an organisation, but also those who engage with it. You mentioned there about the kind of relationship between vision, mission and purpose as well. Uh, Just in relation to that, so I would see vision as kind of the where we want to be. I think of it as what success looks like, I suppose, when we get there from the APM context. So by APM, I mean the Association for Project Management. Vision there is to have a world where all projects succeed. 
mission is not so much where we want to get to, but what we want to do to get there. So for APM, that, that the mission and, and, and our charitable objects are actually one and the same thing for that reason. Whereas purpose is about why we do those things. As I say, it's about that organisational existence. And then you've got the kind of values bit, which is the the how. How do we go about realising that vision, mission, purpose, and so on? Within that, I mean, do you see an organization's purpose as something that's sort of fixed or does it change either as the organization changes or maybe as the external world changes? Yes, yeah, that's a really interesting question. So purpose is obviously shaped by an organization's stakeholders, but I think it's also shaped by the context in which it's operating. But if I go back to what I said before about purpose being a kind of guiding principle, in order for that to kind of ring true, you can't have something which is changing erratically or, or too dramatically and too quickly. So from that perspective, I kind of think of purpose as something that should remain broadly stable unless the kind of fundamental principles on which it's based um, change in some way. So that's why I could imagine over the past couple of years with the global pandemic and so on, there will be some organisations that have really had to look hard and say, actually, does our fundamental reason for existence still hold true when there's such a dramatic change? I think what I would say, though, is that the way in which purpose is interpreted, I think, can change more frequently. So it's not the purpose, but the, the interpretation of the purpose. And that's the kind of thing that I think gets captured through the different iterations of the vision, the mission, the values. Because actually, when society has different priorities, you know, they will be reflected in an organization's interpretation of the purpose. But I don't think that changes the fundamental purpose itself. So if you think about the Association for Project Management or APM's purpose, what would you say it is? So if, if we think about purpose as the kind of fundamental reason for existing, I would say that APM exists because there is still more that can be done to make project management and indeed probably the wider project profession uh, even better, uh, even richer, and to have an even greater impact on society. If I was going to try and sum it up, I suppose I'd say when projects succeed, society benefits. So some organisations might think about purposes, about solving a specific problem. I don't think that's necessarily the case for us. It's trying to, as I say, have that kind of positive impact, that positive benefit for society. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that sort of, you know, when projects succeed, society benefits... You know, how did you go about developing or identifying that? And was it a matter of sort of discovery? It was there and you just needed to find it or did you have to invent it? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because I imagine if you asked different people in the organization's history about whether this was a, a something that was discovered or, or invented, you might get different perspectives from different people. It's almost a matter of ontological perspective, isn't it? Rather than fact about whether things are discovered or whether they're invented. I mean, my own view on this would be that the APM purpose came and, and continues to come from people responding to the world around them and thinking about actually how can we improve the world and I suppose there are kind of two elements to that there's a historic element and a current element so if I kind of just do a, a journey through time for a moment so historically APM came into being because it was recognised back then that there was still more that could be done to improve the, the project profession and, as I say, to have that better, greater impact on society. And a, a unique aspect of that from the APM perspective was that 
um, and I don't know how many people know this, but um, we actually uh, had a kind of parent organisation, um, the International Project Management Association, sometimes known as IPMA. It was known back in the day as Internet, uh, which was to do with the fact that it was an international network. And clearly the name Internet has changed for obvious reasons because there is a more famous Internet now. But there were a group of people who were known as the Pioneering Seven who were involved in that parent organisation who had a meeting in, in Zurich, in fact, back in 1971. And they decided, actually, there needs to be something more specific to the UK. And then by 1972, APM was established. So the reason I mention that is because, in a sense, our purpose, when we think about was it discovered or invented, it, it kind of grew from that of the parent organisation but it had to be shaped to reflect the kind of UK nature of what we were developing. And then, of course, over time we grow and today we have global ambitions ourselves. And obviously we continue to work with IPMA to realise these. Then we get to the kind of the current aspect, the present day, if you like. And then we're kind of more into the kind of strategy development side of things. And that's what I talk about when I say the interpretation of the purpose. And the strategy development process is something that's kind of led by the APM Board of Trustees. And this is where the mission, the vision, the values, all of those things are are shaped to reflect APM's uh, organisational purpose, both overtly, um, but also also covertly, kind of in between things. But ultimately, I come back to that broader point that I made earlier, that purpose is that guiding principle. So it's not going to change erratically over time, and there's no active desire to try and change that core purpose. But that strategy development piece provides that opportunity to almost sense check periodically how we are trying to realise the purpose and whether we're actually doing it appropriately given the wider set of stakeholders we're working with and the wider context in which we are operating. Mm -hmm. So just in, in terms of sort of both the history and the process, to some extent, at least when you joined the organisation, probably for some years before that, the purpose sort of existed. It, it, it almost had been in some senses, I don't want to say given to the organization, but the organization was kind of founded with that purpose. That's right. It was founded with that purpose. But then I think the purpose, we didn't just inherit it straight and do nothing with it, if you like. It had to be shaped for the context in which we're operating at that particular moment in time was to do with the fact that it was the UK branch, if you like, of, of that parent organization. But then, of course, over time, you know, we grow and we change and the project profession itself has changed in terms of the kinds of projects that might be happening now on a day-to-day -day basis compared to, say, 50 years ago. Sure. Um, sounds like there's a process you go through with the Board of Trustees. kind of want to understand how does that happen? You know, is it just the Board of Trustees? Do other people get involved? All, all those sorts of kind of what does the machinery look like questions. But before we get to that, is there any more explicit machinery around the process separate from that? Yeah, good question. So the, the development of both purpose and strategy and vision values, all of those things um, for our organisation is led by the board of trustees, but that is on behalf of APM's members. So this is one of the unique things of being a professional membership body. So we're in a position where the vast majority of our board of trustees are elected directly from the membership by the members. So when we think about the stakeholders involved in the process, we've got the members, 
We've obviously got staff and corporate partners, but we also, there's a, a kind of government, a political aspect of the work that we do. You know, governments are one of the biggest sponsors, of course, of projects. There are many high profile ones that are in the news every day. Uh, we've obviously got uh, the charity commission because we're a, a charity. So that will shape to a certain extent what we can do. We're a chartered body. So therefore we've got the privy council. And of course we have the general public because if we're talking about when projects succeed, society benefits, then the general public have to be factored into all of that thinking because we must achieve public benefit. So in terms of the machinery, the process, it's an iterative process. And I would say kind of strategy development side of things, that's not a quick thing to do for us. I'd say it probably takes around uh, 12 months, maybe even a bit longer to really go through that process and get to the point where we've got a kind of a five-year strategy. And that might feel quite lengthy, I suppose, <laughs> compared to some other organisations. But I think that is probably a reflection of the significant emphasis on collaboration that we take with all of those groups I mentioned before to really develop uh, the strategy in a co-constructed way. So a done-with, I suppose, rather than a done-to process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You say you have a five-year strategy. That Five years seems like an awfully long time nowadays. Is there a reason why five years rather than some other time frame? Sure. I, I think with a strategy, you know, it has to be strategic, hence the name. So I think you can't go too short in that sense because otherwise you, you risk kind of it becoming an operational plan rather than a genuine strategy in that sense. That said, you go too far into the future, then it's kind of finger in the air stuff, right? And no one knows what's going to happen. Five years seems reasonable to say, well, actually, where would we want the organisation to be in five years if we did a really great job? And therefore, what do we then need to do each year to move us closer to that point? Now, the last version of APM's five-year strategy, we kind of religiously stuck to that. I think our approach this time is actually slightly more adaptive. And whilst we have a kind of five-year vision, what we're doing is reflecting on that vision each year to say, what would we want to do this year in the context of the wider world? And as you rightly say, things are changing at quite a pace. And actually, is it still appropriate to have the five-year vision in the way that we've set it out? Are there some things that we need to change within that? So it's a much more adaptive process now, whilst still based on five years, than perhaps what we've done in a previous iteration of the strategy. Given that it's adaptive, it may be a little hard to sort of describe it in the same way that you might have been able to describe that five-year strategy you've just come to the end of. But if you could sum it up reasonably succinctly, what is the strategy? Yeah, so um, I come back to the, the kind of vision side of things again, because I think it's always good to start with what does success look like? And for us, it's that vision about having a world in which all projects succeed. So it's about what can we do over that five years that gets us closer to that? And there are kind of four broad themes, I suppose, that are going to help us to move towards that. So the first one is around providing leadership for the project profession so that's almost the kind of flying the flag for the profession if you like and and trying to establish project management as a profession in its own right the second theme is around um, APM as being a professional body for all project professionals so it's getting that real inclusivity and that breadth right across the piece the third theme is around uh, identifying and enabling the right skills for the project professional. So this is kind of getting back to some of what I would think of as our core business, if you like, which is around our qualifications, uh, our professional development, developing that peer community to make sure 
that actually we take an active role in developing uh, the profession. And then the last thing really is around quality and excellence. It's about APM being an outstanding professional body. And one of the things we often say about the project profession is that we must learn lessons from other projects, uh, whether they've been successful or unsuccessful in that sense. There are always lessons to be learned. And I would say not just to learn the lessons, but to apply the lessons. I think what we need to do is to say, what are the lessons that we can learn from those maybe that have been around a long time and maybe for those that are, are much newer as well and really kind of apply those in our context. And then lastly, there are two kind of golden threads, I suppose, which run right through our strategic framework. One of those is around equality, diversity and inclusion. It won't be a surprise for you to hear that. Um, and, and the second one um, is around sustainability, particularly thinking about environmental sustainability. And given that currently a large proportion of our membership comes from certain sectors like construction, telecoms and, and so on, it's absolutely right that we have sustainability as a key aspect of the strategy. Mm. I know in various other professions, the legal profession, medicine, chartered surveyors, you know, there's a set of standards to which people say they're going to adhere. And there's some disciplinary process, some way to, to address people who don't live up to those standards. Does APM have that? I mean, is that part of its role in society or is that perhaps somewhere in the future for you? Sure. So what you've described there is a kind of regulatory type of process. So there are, there are certain professions where you can kind of be struck off, if you like. So APM doesn't fulfill that type of role, because what we're more about is actually the kind of the development of the profession itself. So we're not a regulatory body. So it's more around that community of professional peers. And I always say there are kind of four reasons why people would join a professional body. So the first is kind of what you've described, which is that there is either an obligation or a professional expectation because they must join the professional body in order to be able to practice. You've then got uh, people who would join a professional body because they think it's going to help them to do their job better. So day in, day out, they can do a better job because they've got access to uh, resources, professional developments and so on. The third reason is because it helps people to get on in their career because they can access what they need to help them move to the next step, whether it be that learning or development and so on. And then the last thing is because people want to access that professional community of peers that I've talked about before. So it can, if you're the only project professional in your organisation, for example, that could be quite a lonely place to be. So being part of a professional body allows you to learn from others and to, to engage with others and, and kind of the uh, kind of a rising tide lifts all ships type approach. So no, we don't have that role in the sector. Um, it's not particularly something we're working towards. What we do want to do is make sure that we have reach right across all sectors to every project professional, and we're not there yet. So that's something that we're absolutely prioritising in the delivery of the new strategy. Are there particular sectors or pools of project managers that you think that's the priority area for us? Obviously, we don't want to forget our base, uh, you know, so we grew from the construction sector, from things like telecoms uh, and so on. And I would say we have project professionals from probably a large number of sectors, but we are underrepresented in some sectors. We're having a particular push at the moment around uh, legal and finance, you mentioned uh, uh, earlier on, pharmaceuticals and health 
in general is an area that we're looking at. My background is in education, so it won't be any surprise to hear me say that I think education is a really important area as well. I mean, one of the challenges I think around some of these other sectors is that the people who are the project professionals don't always know that they are project professionals. We have a phrase that we use in APM, the accidental project professional, which is where people are doing a role, which is a a project management type role. But because of the sector they're in, it might be called something else. Um, um, So transformation and change officer or something like, or something like that. It may even be something completely different, but because they don't recognize it's a project professional role, it means they don't necessarily access the right professional development. They're not necessarily plugged into that community of peers and so on. And it can make the job that they're doing much harder than it needs to be in practice. So there's quite a lot of work that we need to do in terms of that raising the profile of the organisation in those sectors and, and helping people to almost understand whether they are or are not a project professional before we can even get them with the business of, okay, so therefore, how can we help you as we move through your career? Yeah. I could I could also imagine a kind of related issue of people being in a role that were they to think about it, they might think, yes, actually this is sort of a project management role, but anticipating that they're only going to be doing this for a period of time, maybe only so long as this project that they're managing exists, and then they'll go back to being something else. They'll do a completely different role versus someone who's almost that that you know, kind of, I I got a degree in this, and then I work my way up. I anticipate that five years from now I'll be doing the same thing, only on bigger and better and shinier projects. That must be an interesting challenge. It is. So, if I think about leadership, and I think about most, for example, MBA programs, the core principles when you strip it back are, are typically marketing, finance, HR. But that wasn't always the case. You know, you go back 20, 30 years ago, marketing was kind of the poor relation, right? And and that was reflected in C-suite. You would have leaders um, at executive level in the C-suite making decisions, strategic decisions, and then they would kind of toss something into the back room for the marketers to to kind of sort out, you know. Um, and, and so marketing was was not there. But over the last 20, 30 years, that's changed. Marketing has become uh, at the heart now of C-suite and strategy, and you've got chief marketing officers, in some case, driving strategic decisions. So not just at the table, but, you know, heading the table in some ways. That's the journey I think the project profession is on. There is this kind of renaissance, uh, if that's not too dramatic a word, of the project profession coming, where I think leaders are going to start recognising that the principles and competences that come with being a really high quality project professionals actually really help you to be a better leader. And it's in the same way that having a good understanding of the finance, the marketing, the HR helps you to be uh, a better leader. So, So going back to what you were saying before, Yes, it might not be that you're going to go into a senior role in in project management, but those skills that you learn from being able to deliver projects uh, that succeed within budget and, and really realise the benefits uh, that those projects were set out to be, I would say are core expectations of really effective leadership so that there is a value in that which goes beyond the profession itself. Mm-hmm. I might add to that do you, when you talk about this renaissance given machine learning, AI, and a whole bunch of things, there's reason to believe that anything that's routine, that's predictable in work will be automated out one way or another, leaving us with the 
things that are unpredictable, that are about change, that are about something new, increasingly project-based, and that one might come to a point of view that projects, which feel to me like often we're something on the side, you know, we've got our business over here, and then we're doing this project that almost that flips around and the core are the projects we're doing. And over here to the side, there's all this stuff that's going on that needs to be done, but there's not that many people involved in it. <laughs> Uh, I don't, does, does that sound fanciful or does that sound possible? I think you, you're absolutely spot on because when we talk about business as usual, in some ways, that is the easiest thing to automate, right? Because it's a repeated thing by the nature of it being business as usual. But change and transformation is different. And this is where I think it's really interesting in terms of how people perceive the profession. Because I think if you were to talk to somebody, just a random person on the street about, you know, what's their understanding of project management? I think lots of people, their starting point would be that they think of it as quite a process-driven kind of sector. And the reality is that, yes, there are processes in there, but what stands the best projects out from other projects, um, the ones that really succeed, it wasn't the processes that made that happen. It was the people. Um, and it's the people that drive change. And I think that's the thing that's coming with this kind of formalization um, and recognition of the profession. It's that recognition that it's really effective project professionals, the people uh, that are making the difference. Yeah, absolutely. As you've been developing this purposeful strategy, what's surprised you? Um, I suppose, firstly, it would be the extent to which purpose can actually redefine the playing field itself. So what do I mean by that? So in the APM context, I talked before about wanting to broaden out to the project management community beyond the specific sectors that we're working in. And actually getting back to our core purpose about when projects succeed, society benefits, that doesn't talk about the construction industry or the telecoms industry, or it doesn't talk about any sectors. That's not part of our purpose to, to just serve certain sectors. We want to be much broader than that. So just reflecting on that has helped to kind of redefine what we're actually going to do in terms of our target. We obviously want to continue to work with those sectors we're really strong in and, and not neglect that in any way, but we do want to make sure we're, we're operating right across the board. I think the second thing I would say is it's thinking about the impact that purpose can have in relation to kind of the value proposition for different stakeholder groups. So, for example, one of the unique things about a professional membership body is that you have a pretty active volunteer community. These are professional project professionals who are choosing to share their skill set and their time to help the organisation move on. But, of course, all of those different volunteers will have different ideas, I suppose, of what value they can add and how they add that. So to make sure that everybody's moving in the same direction, it really helps to go back to that fundamental purpose question and, and look at why we want them to, to actually uh, support us, why we want them to add value, why we want to make sure there is that public benefit, that, that benefits realisation, because that means we can really engage the volunteer community in a way that's going to be satisfying for them, but also impactful in terms of that core purpose. So what's been the most difficult part of sort of developing and, and implementing this purposeful strategy? I think one of the challenges I've picked up on is the kind of changing role 
of volunteers. And I think it's quite typical in relation to the growing pains that all membership organisations go through at some point in time. So it's not something that's kind of unique to APM in that sense. But what I mean there is that if we go right back in time to the beginning of the organisation, I talked earlier on about the pioneering seven and so on. So they were volunteers, right? You know, they were people who decided we need to have an organisation. And what they do is they take the membership fees and they invest them in obviously trying to execute the strategy of the organization and so on. But they also invest some of that money in getting paid for staff to support them. And, and at the beginning of any professional body, those staff tend to be kind of administrative type staff. So the role of the volunteer at the outset of a professional body is very strategic. It's about almost being the guardians of that um, organisational purpose and then getting some paid for supporting to help with some of the kind of the day-to-day reality of what that means. But then over time, what happens is that that central body of paid for staff grows and it changes from being a kind of administrative function to be in a much more professional function. So, you know, accelerate to, to, to where we are today and, you know, look at APM and we've got, uh, you know, a, a professional marketing team, we've got a, a professional finance team, we've got, you know, so we've got professionals right across the business, you know, education professionals who are designing our qualifications. We've got project professionals, obviously, that we can draw from, but we also have our own in-house project team as well. And so then the role of volunteers it becomes slightly different then. They become elected to the board to kind of define the strategy and so on on behalf of the members. But actually a big part of shaping that are all these professional functions to draw from. And so it's really, it, it can be quite challenging, I think, in terms of trying to keep volunteers engaged, keep them on board, but at the same time saying, actually, we don't want you necessarily to do the same thing that you were doing 10 years ago or even 10 years before that. And by the way, in 10 years' time, it might look completely different. But at this particular moment in time, we've got people who were there right at the beginning who've been through that growth. And we've also got people who are joining who've not experienced any of that growth. And their expectation will be very, very different in terms of how they might engage. So it's, it's this whole thing about the ownership of organisational purpose being something that can change and develop as membership bodies grow and develop over time. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And what, what's the impact been on on your leadership team? Um, so I suppose if I go back to what I said earlier on about purpose being both a, a call to action and the kind of guiding principle for strategic decision making, it has that daily impact on the way in which leaders, including me, run the organisation. So, for example, I mentioned the the idea earlier on that for leaders, um, you know, there is that finite capacity. So constantly kind of coming back to why we're here what's our core purpose helps to make some of those really hard decisions about what we choose to do and what we choose not to do another example would be you know a decision i've made recently which is really choosing to prioritize raising apm's profile into new sectors rather than just continuing to expand in the existing sectors Um, and that's because i think our activity the practical day-to-day activity should have in my opinion the same breadth as our organisational purpose. So that's just two examples there of where that purpose has kind of had a direct impact in terms of leadership. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And through the process, I know you've just talked about how your own personal priorities have changed, but do, do you feel you're different as a person having grappled with this over the last you know, few months or has it really made that much impact on you personally? I suppose I have always seen myself as being in a kind of 
constant state of growth, if you like, uh, both personally and professionally. A, a little mantra I sometimes uh, say to myself is where growth stops, decay begins. Um, <laughs> and, and in my mind, it's kind of learning that informs that growth. So as I move between organizations, I find I can take learning with me. So that that principle I talked about earlier on, lessons learned, lessons applied, and so on. I suppose that the key thing that's probably changed for, for me is that realization that purpose is not just something that's for leaders, it's for everybody. I, I almost think of it as the as the glue that keeps everybody together, alignment, if you like, um, to move in the same direction. Mm-hmm. If you had some advice to give to other organizational leaders, you know, as they're wrestling with purpose, their own organization's purpose, and how you express that through a strategy, what advice would you have? Um, I suppose three things come to mind immediately. So the first one is to take the time to understand an organization's history and its institutional memory, because often there are very good reasons why certain things have been done in certain ways. And I'm not saying you have to continue to do them in those ways, but I think understanding why um, and, 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 and how that reflected on, on, on purpose, um, I think will help to make better decisions going forward. The second thing, I talked about purpose as being a kind of articulation of a response to the question why, but if you can't come up with uh, a clear, articulate response to the question why, then it might be worth thinking, why not? Um, And that might be a a better or a different way into what can be quite a tough question. And then thirdly, I would say, just in terms of um, a reflective point, it's worth leaders almost reflecting into the future and saying, if we realised our strategic vision that we've got set out at the moment, and our organisation was in the place we expect it to be, say, in 10 years, five years' time, would that change be interpreted as a, as a meaningful response to our organisational purpose? And I think that's quite a good question to ask yourself in terms of, is it the right thing to do? So in the APM context, for example, part of our strategic vision is about expanding into new sectors and, and actually making sure that we have project professionals from a variety of sectors represented within our membership Anything I haven't asked you about that you wish I had? Um, I, I, I suppose the only thing I, I was thinking about is um, the the impact that diversity can have on purpose. And we talked a little bit about diversity earlier on, but so what, why, why do I say that? So just to kind of unpack that a bit more. So I started off earlier on by saying that purpose doesn't change radically. You know, it's broadly stable, I think was the phrase that I used. And I suppose lots of organisations, and APM is no different, would have set their organisational purpose or established it at a time when there was probably less diversity, particularly in senior roles in in organisations. And suppose the question in my mind is, does that mean there's that risk of kind of unconscious bias kind of almost baked into organisational purposes? So this is something I've actually asked myself from an APM perspective, and we've tested it. And we're confident that because of the the breadth of our purpose, as as I've already explained, actually, I'm I'm satisfied and uh, that that we have a, a, a really inclusive purpose. But I do wonder whether that's actually globally true, you know, across lots of different types of organisation. Um, so maybe it needs to be a kind of global endeavour. But I think that point of, of sense checking, whether the organisational purpose has the necessary diversity and inclusion uh, in terms of the fundamental premise on which it's based is, is a good thing to do. I, I really want to 
say thank you for for sharing both your experiences and your you know your insights um appreciate you joining us thank you for inviting me thank you for joining us for this episode of the purposeful strategist please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com in addition to being available on our website you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts and stitcher if you enjoyed this episode we release a new episode weekly don't forget to subscribe thanks again and join us soon for the next episode of the purposeful strategist